Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. We have double dongs. We have Tigers prospects. We have a closer in St. Louis and a whole lot more. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today on a Tuesday, August 18th. Frank Stample and Scott White, the two-man power trip, is back at it. How are things going, Scott? So well. So, so well. Just happy to be here, Frank, with you, you and me. Two-man show again. Frank and Scott. It's got a good ring to it. I can't. I can never tell if you're being sarcastic, Scott. I don't know. I'm just filling the silence. <laughs> That's it. I'm filling the silence, the best way I know how. Uh, that's fair. That's fair, Scott. But uh, it was an eventful day. We have a ton of Tigers prospects. I mentioned that. You know, Chris brought this up yesterday. He said, "You know, glass half full. Everyone is getting hurt, but the one positive in that is that we are getting a ton of prospects, which has been." Probably the best part of the 2020 fantasy baseball season is just seeing some of these guys come up and hopefully seeing them perform. We haven't really had anything too crazy happen thus far with like Joe Adele or Dylan Carlson. Right. Nobody's been good. So (laughs) what are we celebrating? Luis Robert has been great and we'll talk about him a little bit later on. Uh, But Scott, let's start off with some of these Tigers prospects. And, And you know what they say about Tigers prospects? They're not just good. They're great. What's your favorite cereal, Scott? Oh, I like the way you pulled that out. I am going to have to go with Cracklin' Oat Bran. Ever had cl- Cracklin' Oat Bran, Frank? I am hitting the like, Google machine hard right now. It is also Dave Richards' favorite cereal. It's like little oatmeal cookies, and these, these uh, they, they're, they're shaped like a digital zero, and uh, they're delicious. It's delicious, Frank. Also a big fan of uh, Frosted Mini Wheats. Cinnamon Toast Crunch, everybody's favorite. That oh. one's always a crowd pleaser, right? Overrated. What about you? Overrated, like? overrated. Cinnamon wow. Toast Crunch is overrated. French wow. Toast Crunch, greater sign, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. This is something I brought up a couple of months back during the pandemic when you know maybe nobody was listening. But you know, I'll get my Azer takes out there right now. French Toast Crunch, greater sign, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I also eat a lot of Honey Nut Cheerios. You dare defy Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Frank Stample? French Toast Crunch is a dreadful imposter. It just mimics the flavor of French toast without replicating the texture. It's disgusting. Oh, man, I'm looking forward to the responses we get, Scott. Regarding yeah. your voice changer. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're overstating the amount. Of I, yeah, I might be. For I the voice be. manipulator. Just, just, just trust the process, Frank. Yeah. Cinnamon I, Toast I Crunch is, they go, it's too, it's too overpowering. They try too hard with the cinnamon. I like, 
if you're going to do cinnamon, it's got to be done right. I, I just think it's, I think it's overpowering. So that's my take of the day. Hot take Tuesday, French toast crunch over cinnamon toast crunch. But let's dive into some of these prospects, Scott, and get your opinion. Casey Mize, Tariq Skubal, and Isaac Parides have all been promoted for the Detroit Tigers. Uh, Casey Mize, a top 10 prospect in all of baseball, a former first-round pick in 2018. Tariq Skubal, a top five prospect for the Tigers, and he is a top 100 prospect in all of baseball. Uh, Isaac Parides, I'm not sure that we're going to be overly excited about, but uh, Scott, let's start off with these pitchers. Give me your breakdown of both of these guys and, you know, really, um, you know, how, what's the interest level? I mean, how imperative is that you get these guys on your fantasy teams? I made sure I had claims for them, the two pitchers in all of my leagues. In all of my leagues, I think I managed to find somebody I could justify dropping for both Casey Mize and Tariq Skubal. My, uh, my head says go after Mize harder. My, my gut says go after Skubal higher, harder. Um, I, think I, I think I ended up prioritizing, uh, prioritizing Mize over Skubal. But an interesting wrinkle there is Mize was already rostered in some of those leagues from when we thought there was a suggestion that maybe he was coming up earlier. So uh, Mize obviously was the number one pick in baseball a couple years ago. Uh, he was clearly too good for the minors for about the first half of last year. And just like he was so efficient carving up lineups that I, I think it kind of helped keep the strikeout level down, if that makes sense. Uh, and, and I think maybe... Maybe some people worry about his upside because of that. He also ended up having some shoulder troubles. I think it was before the end of the year, and that kind of skewed his numbers at the end because he was pitching through that. But obviously, a lot of talent to go as early as he does, and I uh, would not at all be surprised if he ends up getting more strikeouts in the majors than he did in the minors. I think eventually he becomes that. Might need some work with his secondary arsenal, but let's see where it goes because he was, when he was healthy last year, he was clearly too good for the minors. And meanwhile, Scooball, do you know exactly how to say it? Because I think I've pronounced it three different ways just in talking about him. I don't know. I don't. And I, I was, I meant to ask you before we started, I didn't know if it was Scoobal or Scoobal or I don't I'm going to go with Skubal. Tariq Scoobal. Let's go with. You ever play ski ball? Yeah, I'm pretty good actually. Hmm. I'm I'm surprised to hear that, a young tyke like you. But yeah, no, Tariq Skubal, S K U B A L. He uh, he came out of nowhere last year to put up some of the most impressive numbers of any pitcher in the minors, especially after getting promoted to Double A. And nine starts there, he had 17.4 K per nine. Um, really good fastball that he throws a lot, but. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty full secondary arsenal, even though uh, I know Chris was tweeting that he didn't use it that much last year, but has both a slider and a curveball changeup that appears to be coming along. Uh, Baseball America gave the slider especially high marks. Like it's these aren't just show me pitches for Scooball. So like I, I I feel like of the Tigers three big pitching prospect Matt, Matt Manning being the other Scooball was the one getting all the hype in spring training like maybe he was the furthest along so uh, very excited to pick him up too and I mean you know the deal with this by now as we saw from Spencer Howard it didn't really he didn't really land in the way we wanted him to and now uh, with him dealing with a bit of an injury he's borderline 
rosterable. And maybe after a couple starts, that's where Mize and Scooble wind up too. But particularly at a position of need like this, you you take a flyer on them and the chance that they meet their full upside right away because they both have a considerable amount of that. No such thing as a pitching prospect. That's what they say, right, Scott? 21 starts for Casey Mize last year between high A and double A, a 255 ERA, 0.94 whip, average just under a strikeout per inning. What I liked most looking into Casey Mize, of the 21 starts that he made, he went at least six innings in 10 of those. So this isn't a situation with someone like Julio Arias or Jesus Lazardo, where those guys are not going deep into games. Casey Mize has consistently gone deep into games, and his splitter uh, received a 70 grade, according to MLB Pipeline. So it's probably the best splitter among prospects in baseball, and honestly, might be one of the best splitters already in the game. And Scooble, you mentioned, I mean, his strikeout upside, 179 strikeouts in 122 and two-thirds innings pitched last year between high A and double A. He has never had a swinging strike rate below 16% at any level. So the strikeout upside might even be higher for Scooble than it is for Casey Mize. Um, Scott, tell me, where would you rank Mize and Scooble among this group? Names that we talked a lot about recently. Pablo Lopez, Framber Valdez, Tony Gonsolin, Kevin Galsman. Where would you put Mize and Scooble in that group? I'd rank them second and third behind just Framber Valdez, Pablo Lopez is very close. It would it would be difficult for me to drop Lopez after just picking him up for either of those two. But if push came to shove, I would. Would you drop Mackenzie Gore for either of Mize or Scooble? Yeah. Yeah. I will we don't say, know when Gore is coming. We don't know if he's coming. Pure speculation, but Chris Paddock and Denelson Lermet were pushed back to Wednesday and Thursday. Any chance that Gore gets that start on Tuesday? I, I feel like if it was going to happen, they probably would have announced it by now. But I guess there's still a chance. By the time you're listening to this, Mackenzie Gore might have been announced as the starter on Tuesday. We just don't know yet, Scott. Uh, I mean, other than Pearson and Carlson, every one of these promotions have caught me by surprise. And like we're just we're kind of operating in the blind with these minor leaguers because. There, are, there aren't really people covering the minor leagues. Yeah. There's right no stats. We're not, we don't get stats right. to really monitor any player's progress. So we just, that's that's just the way it's going to be out of this year. It, it, you can speculate as, you can speculate all you want, but it's not worth much. Would you drop Spencer Howard for either one or both? Yeah, i drop him for both. All right, Scott. Now this is why you make the big bucks. I'm going to ask you a toughie. Do I? <laughs> Do we? <laughs> uh, Zach Plesak. Would you drop Zach Plesak for either one? Things are up in the air. People are asking what to do. Would you do it, Scott? Man, I I really have a hard time. I know there are some people saying, they're going to be down all year, Clevenger and Plesak. Maybe. I mean, I... I could not have imagined a scenario where they got sent down in the first place. So I, I don't know that I can trust my own judgment on this, but I mean, winning still has to come first, right? <laughs> like they, they, they send them down for a while, they send their message and then they bring them back to do what they can do better than the Indians currently have on their roster. And so, yeah, I would, I would hold on to please 
over both Mize and Scooball. I would too. I, it, it is a tough situation. You know, people are asking me, what do I do with Plesak? You can't drop him. He, he was just too good. He, he's too good of a pitcher that we've seen so far this season. Small sample size, but he's been too good. So you can't trade him. You can't drop him. I think you just kind of ride it out with both uh, Mike Clevenger, obviously, and with Zach Plesak. Isaac Paredes was the third name that was called up. Scott, he is a top 10 pri- uh, Tigers prospect. He is not a top 10, 100 prospect overall like the pitchers are. He is 21 years old, career 274, 775 OPS in the minors. Any interest in Isaac Paredes? Well, I wouldn't say zero interest, but it's not it's not the sort of profile... Like, look, he's a top 100 type prospect. He's not a top 20 type prospect. It's the sort of profile because he doesn't strike out much because I want to say, I want to say the fly ball rate is pretty high. Yeah, it is. He doesn't really have work to do on the launch angle. You could see him taking a big leap in the majors and becoming more of a power hitter than he was in the minors. You know, the, the contact skill is what I value most in an environment where power is very easy to cultivate. So I could see Paredes becoming a contributor in fantasy, but you know, hitting is so deep and uh, it's, you don't look at the minor league track record and, and, and assume greatness for somebody like that. He finished one for four in his debut on Monday night with two RBI. The one thing I will add is he does hit a lot of fly balls. He also hits a lot of pop-ups, a lot of infield fly balls in the minors as well, which I think has contributed to keeping his batting average down. Those are automatic outs. So something I do like to look at in minor league profiles Um, And he has struggled, so something to pay attention to with him. All right, Scott, maybe the latest we've ever done this. We are about, you know, 12, 13 minutes in here. Let's do it. Oh, my goodness gracious. I'm going to start this one off, Scott. And Trey Turner. Wow. You finally stole a base. Thank you. Someone we thought was going to be this great steel source in a 60-game season. I was talking him up. You got to get this guy in auctions and roto leagues because he can single-handedly win you that category. Now, I mean, maybe he'll still do it, but to this point, he has not. He finally stole his first base in game 20 in a 60-game season. I will say all the other numbers are, are pretty much rounding into form for Trey Turner. 288 batting average now, 843 OPS, a double and a run scored as well on Monday. Finally stole his first base. He's off the schneids, Scott. Trey Turner. Yeah, that is something to celebrate, and I suspect it'll be the first of many for him. Who is a Monday standout for you, Scott, whether it's good or bad? It's Ross Stripling. It's Ross Stripling, who I... I, I expressed my concerns about Ross Stripling after his last start, and yet I still included him among the must-start, two-start pitchers for this week, in large part because the first of those two starts was against the Mariners. But it went so poorly that I'm skeptical there will even be a second start from Ross Stripling this week. This may have been his last turn in the rotation for the Dodgers. Six earned runs on eight hits three home runs in three innings. And since that first start where he went out and went seven against the Giants, he just hasn't had it. And I, and I don't just mean he's given up a lot of runs. Like the pitches have not been effective at all. He had one swinging strike in this one. He had 
five in each of the previous three starts. The swinging strike rate, I think it's below 8% now for the season, which is, is ghastly. It's ghastly. So uh, little too quick to anoint Ross Stripling the next big thing. You know, I was won over by his charisma when we had him on during the, the shutdown and he talked a big game. No, really. I mean, more than anything, it was the numbers as a swing man the past couple of years. Uh, looked like he'd be impressive as a full-time starter, but it has not gone that way. Ross Stripling, he gone. He gone. He gone. He gone. Yeah. He gone. And he gone. Yes, he is gone. You're all right dropping him for either of the Tigers prospects, Scott? Yeah, I'm all right dropping him for anywhere your imagination leads you. All righty. He is a 10 on the dropometer again. That is Ross Stripling. Some news and notes. According to C. Trent Rosecrans, there were no positive COVID-19 results in the Reds' latest round of testing. Rosecrans adds, however, that they could be shorthanded with some players still in quarantine as a result of contact tracing. So I guess pay attention to whenever the lineup is revealed on Tuesday. They're expected to face the Kansas City Royals. As of now, Tommy Pham has a fractured hamate bone and will miss the next four to six weeks, which is basically the rest of the season. You can drop Tommy Pham, Jerickson Profar, Trent Grisham, and Josh Naylor were in the outfield Monday night for the Padres sticking with San Diego. Will Myers, who's dealing with a back injury, has, quote, a good shot to return on Tuesday. Kirby Yates is likely to have season-ending surgery on his right elbow. So Drew Pomeran, someone that we really hammered home on yesterday's podcast, needs to be rostered. He needs to be owned, even in head-to-head points leagues. He's like joining a team that should be pretty competitive, and we just mm-hmm. saw Kirby Yates lead baseball in saves last year. Mm-hmm. So, bom, 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 Morans. Bom, 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 Morans. I dig I it, Scott. Uh, yeah, no, that's exciting. And and you know what? what's interesting about him is he's starting pitcher eligible, and normally we think of starting pitchers with relief pitcher eligibility as being oh. the more valuable asset in formats that divide the two. But this year, uh, particularly getting to some deeper leagues, and it's hard to find enough pitchers who are going to give you the volume to put in your starting five. And like I... I actually picked up Pomeranz with the intention of maybe playing him at starting pitcher more than relief pitcher in one league because uh, a closer that good on a team that you know looks like it's going to be competitive, um, yeah, that that might end up being more reliable than like a Yusei Kikuchi type, you know? Yeah, we don't normally see the, I guess it's Sparp backwards R PASP, RP as starting pitcher. Doesn't eh, it doesn't flow as great, but that's what he is. That's what Drew Pomeranz is. Uh, he is a must-own player, regardless of format in fantasy baseball. Jacob Degrom is scheduled to return to the Mets starting rotation on Wednesday against the Marlins. Braves manager Brian Snitker said Monday that there is still no timetable for Ronald Acuna's return from the injured list. Of course, he is dealing with wrist inflammation. Yankees manager Aaron Boone said Monday that DJ LeMahieu is expected to be sidelined for two to three weeks. Aroldis Chapman was activated on Monday. That was something we brought up on yesterday's podcast. Josh Donaldson had a successful workout on Monday, which included machine cardio, infield practice at third base, and batting cage work. He could be moving toward a return from the injured list sometime later this week. An MRI 
was taken Monday on Jordan Alvarez's knee, turned up negative. However, he was not in the lineup for the second straight day. I'm sorry, Scott. Nick Madrigal, who separated his shoulder, has resumed, quote, virtually all baseball activities. White Sox general manager Rick Hahn told reporters on Monday he's on track to return later this month as well. Salvador Perez was back in the lineup Monday after sitting out with blurry vision on Sunday, and then he left Monday's game. So I hope Salvador Perez is okay because he was the top scoring fantasy catcher heading into that one, Scott. Or maybe he wasn't. Maybe JT Real Muto took him over. I might be making that up. I would be surprised if it's not Real Muto. But Salvador Perez has been very good, and he's my catcher in the For the People League, where you only have nine hitter spots to work with. So, yeah, I am rooting for a quick return. I lied. I was off by quite a bit. Salvador Perez is the third catcher in fantasy behind JT Real Muto. And of course, Pedro Severino, who just continues to defy the odds. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Email of the day. This one is from Adam. And honestly, it's not a crazy email. It's quite simple. I might be overthinking it, but I told Adam that I would read this on the air because I wanted to specifically get your opinion, Scott, since you are the dynasty guru. 10-team dynasty. Head-to-head categories. 30-man rosters with prospects. You can keep up to 16 players each year. Thinking of offering my Chris Paddock for Zach Gallen. Which one would you rather have in Dynasty? This seems like a simple question again. But I was fascinated by this idea. Like I really thought about it. And I think it's very close in a Dynasty Keeper setting. Chris Paddock threw 31 starts in his career. 3.57 ERA, 101 whip. 9.47K per nine. He is 24 years old. Zach Gallen through 19 starts, a 2.80 ERA, 1.21 whip. Gallen is seven months older. He just turned 25, which is actually a little surprising to see the age there for Zach Gallen. And while we are recording this, he is making a start against the Oakland A's, Scott, where he has allowed one run over seven innings, three hits, one walk, eight strikeouts, for Zach Gallon, that is now four quality starts in a row for the 25-year-old pitcher. Who would you rather have, Scott, in Dynasty? Gallon or Paddock? I mean, I, I hope this I hope this isn't recency bias fueling this opinion. But yes, Scott, say it. I mean, Gallon has been better in most. Well, I mean, I guess you just compared the actual stats there, but the stats I care about most, Gallon has been better in virtually all of them, namely swinging strikes and um, honestly, the ERA estimators like like XFIP. But it hasn't been a huge difference there because with all the walks last year, Gallon's wasn't especially low. But I don't think the walks are really a true part of Gallon's skill set anyway. I think that was kind of a fluky thing. Uh, based on his minor league track record. And apart from that first start this year, the walks have been not an issue, right? He has three yeah. walks in his last four starts right. after that five-walk right. performance in his first start. I, I'm a little worried the league's catching up to Paddock a little without the development of a third pitch. And like Gallon is young enough and promising enough and bankable enough that I don't, I don't know why you wouldn't favor him at this point to Paddock. Not yeah, Paddock I just wanted I wanted to make sure that... Not a dynasty asset, of course. 
but you know, right. I, I think I'd take Paddock. I mean, I think I'd take Gallon. <laughs> I was like, wow, you just waxed poetic about Gallon for like the past two minutes and then just like, you know, yeah, switch so. on a dime. <laughs> but uh, yeah, look, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't crazy because that's what I was thinking. I, I was leaning Gallon as well and I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just, you know, if Paddock was coming off a, a great seven shutout innings with 10 strikeouts, would we... You know, would we feel differently because he just got blown up his last start? Like, I don't want to be too short-minded, but at the same time, you know, Zach Gallen has four different pitches that he throws at least 19% of the time, whereas Paddock has a phenomenal changeup. He throws a very hard fastball. It seems very straight. I read an article on The Athletic that Eno Saris wrote about uh, pitchers throwing new pitches this year, and apparently Paddock is using a cutter. I haven't really seen it classified anywhere. Maybe he's just, you know, thrown it very sparingly, but doesn't seem like it's been effective to this point. He talked about his curveball in the offseason. That hasn't been great. So, look, there's still a chance for Paddock, and I think he's a very good pitcher. Yeah. I just think Gallon's a little bit better, given his repertoire and, you know, swinging strikes and where he's been at so far. So, all right. Thanks, Scott, for confirming what I, uh, what I had originally thought. On to Monday's action. A whole bunch of interesting double dongs, Scott. Nelson Cruz hit his seventh and eighth home runs. He's now batting 354 with a league leading 23 RBI. Did you know that entering Monday's games, Nelson Cruz was a top eight hitter and a top 20 player overall in five by five roto leagues? He's legit 40 year 40 years old. I never thought that we would see another player perform like David Ortiz this late into their career. And then there's Nelson Cruz. It's amazing. I don't, I don't know what else to say. It can't last forever. It's going to last this year though. It can last forever, or at least until he decides to retire. Imagine he's just like awesome for the next three or four years, just retires at 45 and is just still crushing it. Yeah. I mean, he's, probably if if that happens if he gives us three or four more years of this he's he's probably a hall of famer pete alonzo three multi-hit games in his last five and on monday he went three for three a double dong two runs two rbi and two walks last time we spoke about him scott you said that he needed to cut down on the strikeouts he did not strike out at all today uh, after looking at his game log i saw that he was you know still striking out a decent bit but at least the results are coming along with it. So it's nice to see from Pete Alonzo. The one that I really wanted to bring up here, Scott, have a little bit of a discussion on, was Luis Robert, who had a double dong, but before Monday, over the past two weeks, was batting 203 with a 36.7% strikeout rate. And also entering Monday, he had the highest swing rate in baseball, the highest swinging strike rate, and the third highest chase rate. He's such an interesting profile. Like, he hits the ball on the ground more than anything else. It's not egregious. It's like 43, 45%. He does still hit like a decent amount of line drives. Uh, fly balls are like 33, 35% for Luis Robert. But, Scott, he reminds me of, I, I think when we're evaluating Robert, we're always going to have difficulty with him the same way that we do Tatis. I think he's going to be someone that is just so gifted athletically that he's going to outperform what his analytics say out of him. But I, I, I don't want to fall for him the same way that we might be falling for Tatis. It, it, it certainly looks like, you know, we were lower on Tatis than we should have been entering the season based on what he's done thus far. Yeah, I think you have a point. I think that's a good comparison. 
I, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Like, obviously I'm, if I, if I have Louise Robert, I'm probably just happy. I have Louise Robert, a guy who's contributing in all five categories and, uh, is an exciting player to have. I, I don't know. There's probably a case for him to, to make for him being a sell high candidate too, because we just we don't really know what the downside is with that extreme profile. So if if uh, you know if if you can if you can get a return for him like an early round pick, that might be worth doing. One where you you look at the you look at what you're getting back and saying. And say, okay, there's there's not really a way this trade could go wrong for me. It could only possibly go right if Luis Robert falls off from here. I think that's something worth considering. You know, I'm talking about uh, like you know a Nolan Arenado type or something like that in return. I could see that being a possibility, especially in a roto league where somebody needs steals. How about in a head-to-head points league, which is obviously not Robert's preferred league type. He does have like an 8% walk rate this year, so it's not like he's not walking, but the strikeouts are just so egregious. Scott, would you rather have Luis Robert rest of season or someone like Chris Bryant, who's supposed to excel in that format, yet he's done virtually nothing this season? I can't imagine trading Robert for Bryant right now, regardless of format, but it's interesting you bring this up because... Luis Robert head-to-head points per game so far is only two point five seven. It's pretty bad. That is pretty bad. That is <laughs> pretty bad. Shinsu Chu's been better. Yikes. Uh, Kevin, well, Kevin Pilar's not an everyday player, but he's been better. Yoshitomo Tsutsugo's been better. Alex Verdugo, David Peralta, and uh, that's with Robert getting off to what seems like a really nice start. So. It's not including today's performance. I'm sure, it'll go up after today. Right. But, but no, something that's... to keep in mind that extreme profile might hold him back in that format specifically. Yeah, no, that's that is very low. I mean, I understand the White Sox have probably just played a lot of games. That's probably why he ranks so high overall. But uh, yeah, me... two point five seven is uh, not great. Not great there for uh, Luis Robert. And, and I compared him to Fernando Tatis, and I just pulled up the. The Padres box score for tonight, Scott. Of course, you know we're recording this on Monday night, and you know sometimes it's hard to catch up on the West Coast games. Fernando Tatis also has a double dong with seven RBI. He hit a three-run bomb and a and a grand slam. So it's, gosh, man, like eleven home runs now for Fernando Tatis. He is up to twenty-eight RBI, which I right, forget what I said about Nelson Cruz leading baseball in RBI, and he's batting three hundred five. So, Fernando Tatis, I, I will just gladly take the L. Like, he's he's better than we all thought. And I, I'm still waiting. I'm waiting for him to, like, slow down, Scott. And it's just, it's not happening. I, I mean, I, I don't, I bristle at the way you categorize that. He's better than we all thought. It was an abundance of caution for fear of the downside case. That was the case against taking Fernando Tatis in round two. It wasn't a refusal to acknowledge the upside. And I think, I, I don't think it's bad process. I don't. Cause like, you know, second round pick is the foundation of your team. And it's really hard to miss on a second round pick. You can't be the one who does. 
So I, I don't, I don't feel any regrets there. I did do a little quick math, by the way. So Robert had a 12 point day today that takes his point per game average from 2.57 to 2.98, which puts him up with Fran Mil Reyes and Joey Gallo, a couple guys who also have an extreme profile. Uh, also Trent Grisham is up there who we think of as maybe more of a points league guy. So that, that I think is, uh, you know, it still doesn't have Luis Robert as a stud in points leagues, but it, it looks a little better. Well, Scott, excuse me if I push back a little bit on the Fernando Tatis, because I believe a couple of years ago, you guys were a little bit lower than Ronald Acuna than the industry as well, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, at some point, I get what you're saying about process, and mm-hmm. there's only going to be so many players that defy that. But I feel like at the end of this season, if Fernando Tatis turns out to be the best hitter or even a top five hitter overall, and regardless of format, I think we kind of just have to throw process out the window and say, like, we got it wrong. Or at least I will. Um, I mean, there's, there's a degree of saying that, but like the bottom line is, are, are my teams doing poorly because I passed up Fernando Tatis there? And... Right. So that I mean, would have been doing better if I had him, but like if I'm not losing because I passed him over, then it's not bad. Then I, it's not just not bad process. Like it's, it's hard to say it was the wrong thing to do, even. You I get know? what you're like, saying. That's, that's just like I'm always going to be extra careful with those early round picks. I'm always going to look who's going in that range and has the most downside and avoid them. And, yeah, I could see I could see why um I could see how Fernando Tatis is able to overcome that profile. But I, I, I just I can't looking back, I can't see how you could make the case that anyone else going in that range had more downside than Fernando Tatis. And uh you know, I'm glad he's doing well. I like when players do well. I like when they meet their upside, but I I'm I don't feel bad about it. You can't make me feel bad, Frank. I think the player that was probably most closely uh, tied to him in a similar range was like Jose Ramirez. And if you drafted Jose Ramirez, you're fine. But just looking at some preseason ADP, Anthony Rendon was right around Tatis. You'd be much better off with Tatis. Although I agree, Tatis' downside was lower entering the season. To, to this point, and you know, Rendon is going to end up with really good numbers. He's hit a lot of home runs recently. J.D. Martinez was in this range who yeah, couldn't really that's... predict you know, the slow start that he's gotten off to. Same thing with Rafael Devers. So, mm-hmm. you know, these are the players that were like most closely tied to Fernando Tatis' range. And, you know, really, Jose Ramirez is the only one that you, you wouldn't be kicking yourself for. So, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it plays out. We'll continue to have this conversation. I don't want to spend any more time on Tatis. Luke Voigt also had a double dong on Monday night. Sixth and seventh home runs of the season, up to 15 RBI. Scott... Voight or this first baseman, rest of season, Voight or Carlos Santana? I will take, I'll still take Santana in a points league. I think he's, I think he's going to get hot here soon. And uh, obviously the walks have been there. Voight but in or, Roto, I'll go Voight. Voight or Max Muncy? Um, I'm going to take Muncy universally there. He actually got dropped in the podcast points league. Unfortunately, oh. I had number one waiver priority. <laughs> I tried to that. add him. Don't you? <laughs> yeah. Don't was, worry. I tried. That was a shocking drop. I'm glad to have him though, especially since I just lost DJ LeMahieu in that league. Yeah, that's that's a huge pick me up. Voight or Paul Goldschmidt, Scott? Voight. 
Voight or Reese Hoskins? Uh, Voight. Voight or Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? Hmm, I haven't considered him. I need to get him in my first base rankings. Uh, I'm going to go with Guerrero there. Interesting. I wrinkled my nose as I say it. Yeah. So that means, all right, so you would have Vlad ahead of Goldschmidt as well, rest of season. By due of process there. I guess. Transitive property. I guess <laughs> right. that's how that works. It's, um, yeah. I mean, that's not, that's not an order that I, uh, I couldn't see myself rearranging a week from now, depending on how things develop. So uh, just keep that in mind. For Vlad, I shared this with Scott actually before we started, so I'll share it with all of you. In seven July games, he hit 172 with one homer, a 476 OPS, a 23% strikeout rate, and a 68% ground ball rate. Again, that is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. In 11 August games entering Monday, he was hitting 300 with two homers, a 941 OPS, an 11% strikeout, and a 57% ground ball rate. So the strikeouts way down, making a lot of contact, still too many ground balls, but at least it's trending in the right direction. I just wanted to give Vlad some credit because I know that we were pretty harsh on him early in the season. And so far in August, seems like he is turning around quite a bit. It's got some second baseman I wanted to talk about and, and really just rank three players. We talk a lot about Brandon Lau, but I want to take a look at Kevin Biggio and Robinson Cano, who we just spoke about yesterday, he also had a double dong on Monday, and he's 60% rostered on CBS, and I just think that needs to be higher. I think that last year was probably just a fluke, probably a down year, you know, coming off the PED suspension from the year before. I, I think Robinson Cano, he just looks like himself. Like, the bat speed is there. The, the two home runs that he hit in Marlins Park, you know, of all places on Monday, they were, like, vintage Robinson Cano. So, um... I, I agree. I mean, as hard as he's hitting the ball, as little as he's striking out, he, uh, you know, the, the, the data says he should have great numbers, and he does. And with his track record, I mean, I would have a hard time betting against that continuing. Kevin Biggio went three for five on Monday, hit his sixth homer, uh, added three RBI, two runs scored. He's cut his strikeout rate 7%. This season, he's still hitting a lot of fly balls. It's actually up 54% this year, but he's making a lot of hard contact. He's batting 234, which, you know, it's going to be low for him, but that's fine. He also has three steals, which means he's up to 17 career stolen bases without getting caught stealing. Again, that is Kevin Biggio. Scott, rank for me Biggio, Robinson Cano, and Brandon Lau, because I think they're all top 15 second basemen. I don't know if it's a hot take for Cano, I'm going to move him up so that reflects my rankings. I think he's a top 15 second baseman. Yeah, I'm going to go Lau, Cano, and actually Biggio there. Even though Biggio has basically delivered what we expected from him, uh, you know, maybe there was some hope he took a step forward. The strikeouts are down, as he said. The walks are also down. He's just He's just been more aggressive overall, which I know Chris was uh, among those saying he needed to be to, to be better. I don't know. It hasn't made him better. He's still such he's such an extreme fly ball and pull hitter that the the Rays went with a four outfielder alignment and no infielder on the left side. 
I, I, I noticed they, they, they ran that kind of shift shift on Kevin Biggio this weekend. And it, it makes sense. I mean, such a high percentage of his hits are going to be home runs that like, that's, that's just something you have to factor for batting average uh, and being a batting average liability. But you know, there's a good chance he'll be able to have like a 25 homer 20 pace. You know, obviously rounding down for the the season, not rounding down, but you know what I mean? That kind of pace over a full season, but it's only a 60 game season. So you have it Lau, Cano, Biggio. Even in Roto, you would take Cano over Biggio? I think so. I think so. I mean, you know, if there's a need for speed, then you have to you have to factor that in. But uh if there's not, then I'd rather have Cano. <laughs> that's the that's the thing about Roto rankings is like you can inflate all the stolen base guys, but it, they're they're only worth it if you need steals, and you know you you only need so many steals. Yeah, and that's a really good point, and just kind of a random lesson here for draft rankings, where if you're using a top 300 draft ranking list to help you draft in Roto, I mean you kind of throw it out the window, Scott. It really just comes down to okay, if this player is ranked 20 spots lower, but I need home runs, and that's what this player gives then that's who I need to draft. So just completely mm-hmm. random tangent, but something to keep in mind when looking at, you know, Roto rankings overall and specifically like top 300 Roto ranks. We're going to take a quick break, but first I want to remind people sports are back. You know, baseball is back. We've had a lot of soccer. Uh, the NBA playoffs are going on right now. And with sports back, the Stitcher app is one of the best platforms to consume sports podcasts. They even have a new collection on the homepage of their app for the return of sports where FBT, this podcast, and Pick 6 are both featured. Stitcher also makes it incredibly easy to build playlists for your favorite podcast. So just think about that. You can have Fantasy Baseball today. You can have Fantasy Football today. You can have Pick 6. You can have First Cut. You can have all the different CBS Sports podcasts in your playlist, all in one place on Stitcher. It's a really, really neat feature. So make sure to download Stitcher for free in the App Store today and right after you download Stitcher. Make sure you subscribe to our Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel, youtube.com slash fantasybaseballtoday. We're closing in on 1,500 subscribers. Thank you to everyone who has subscribed thus far. Let's get to 2K by the end of the baseball season. I think we can make that happen. Thanks again for your support. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I have a Transformation Tuesday. We have some bullpen updates. Uh, I want to take a look at, at some of the two-star pitchers, how they fared on Monday night as well. We'll do that here, Fantasy Baseball Today. We've got a Transformation Tuesday, Randall Grichuk edition, Scott. I don't know if you've seen what's going on with Randall Grichuk, but let's talk about it quickly and see if it matters really at all. Two more hits on Monday, including his third home run of the season. He now has multiple hits in four of his last five games and has homered in three of his last four. His plate discipline so far this season, career low 23% strikeout rate, backed by a career low 9.5% swinging strike rate, career high 10.7% walk rate. Batted ball data. He's hitting more line drives than ever before. The launch angle is way down, uh, but the expected batting average is way up. He is Mm -hmm. 32% rostered, Scott. Are you buying into any of this mini transformation here from Randall Grichuk, albeit 15 games this season? Uh, Yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm not sure what to make of it yet. Uh, It's it's kind of... He's kind of uh, 
gone from having a extreme power profile to more like a batting average profile with a really high line drive rate there and reduced strikeout rate. Um, but there's only so much batting average upside, and I don't know how much he can uh, he cannot be a power hitter. You know, like it it might be a positive development if you know with home runs in three of his last four games, he's still able to contribute the power without being such a liability in batting average, maybe that will be a great transformation for him. But it's it's a little early to say, and there have been so many exciting outfield pickups recently that it uh, it doesn't move the needle much for me yet. I agree that he's definitely behind Dom Smith and Jesse Winker, Clint Frazier, Anthony Santander, all of those names. And there's a lot of outfielders that have been awesome. But... Tell me if I'm off base here, Scott. I'll take him over Austin Slater. I'll take him over Robbie Grossman. Steven Piscotty, who's been playing better as of late. I'll take Grichuk over him. And I'll take him over Cole Calhoun, too. Is that all right? Is that all right? It's fine with me. Um, <laughs> the the two that I might... I might uh, have a problem with there are Robbie Grossman and Cole Calhoun. I think Cole Calhoun is a better version of what Grichik has been, so I guess I'm not ready to treat Grichik like he's something else yet. So I'll take Cole Calhoun over him still. And uh, Grossman, I'm just really, I'm really interested in seeing how this plays out for him because if he is going to run like he has so far, if he gets every day at bats and is a 400 on base guy, which you know he's always walked a lot. I don't know exactly what's changed with him, but it's reminiscent of the way Marcus Simeon and and Mark Canna changed for the athletics last year. So uh, I, uh, I, I want to I get when the cost is nothing on Grossman. And, you know, a couple weeks from now, we'll probably know if, it, if it's going to amount to anything. Some two start, less, less than that, maybe. Some two-start streamer updates from Monday. Tuki Toussaint, Scott, not that you were, like, touting him or anything, but four earned, six walks over three innings against Washington. We could drop him, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's frustrating because the stuff is just it's really good. But he threw less than half his pitches for strikes, and that's I know I know there was a lot of uh, hand wringing over the umpiring in that game, which may have contributed to it. But it's six walks are bad, no matter how you slice it. Kyle Freeland was in Houston, six innings, seven hits, two earned, zero walks, five strikeouts. Another quality start for Kyle Freeland. Nine ground ball outs. His ground ball rate this year is now up to 58%. Scott, are you starting to buy in a little bit more on Kyle Freeland? I think I buy that he can be a, a good streamer this year. Um, I, If that ground ball rate lasts, I mean, that's how you can overcome a low strikeout rate. And, you know, maybe he, he can be sort of a seventh or eighth starter type in fantasy, like a 12-team league. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still mostly skeptical. Brandon Belak on the opposite side, six innings, one hit, one earned, four walks, four strikeouts, 10 swinging strikes on 87 pitches for Belak. The walks have been up. The strikeouts aren't impressive yet. Maybe they'll get better because his swinging strike rate is actually over 12%. You know, Scott, if you picked up both of these guys for two starts this week, Freeland, Belak, who are you most likely to keep? Beyond this week, I think, I think it might be Freeland, but I'm I'm not that 
Uh, obviously, based on what I just said about Freeland, I'm not that committed to either. Okay. Anything that you wanted to add on, on Belak? No, no. I mean, I, I think you pointed out the right things there. I mean, it's, it's been a decent ground ball pitcher and the swing strike rate has been pretty solid. But yeah, I mean, he has a, he has a lot of anonymity to overcome. <laughs> uh, Griffin Canning. This is why you listen to Scott and you don't listen to me. Four and two-thirds, six hits, three earned, zero walks, two strikeouts against the lowly Giants. I thought there was a chance that Griffin Canning can be all right for this start. He is still rostered in 60% of leagues. I imagine that that number can be a lot lower after this start, Scott. Yeah, he's, he's there with Ross Stripling and just like... I would have no reservations about dropping him for just about anybody at this point. He got zero whiffs on the slider again. Canning did in this one, and that was his that was his pitch last year. It's it. I, I I'm guessing because of the elbow, he's just not snapping it off the same way. Uh, that's that's going to be a problem for him though. Alex Cobb was also bad, and I picked him up in a few leagues. And honestly, like should have saw this coming. It's Alex Cobb. The splitter has looked good, but against the Blue Jays, six and two thirds, eight hits, five earned, one walk, four strikeouts. Alex Cobb, if you picked him up, no problem dropping him either, right, Scott? No, that was always a streaming situation for me. Okay, and yeah, that's it's a Jeff worthy splitter for sure, but. I'm just not sure there's enough there for him to become anything more than a streamer option for you. Jordan Montgomery was actually pitching pretty well before his start got cut short because of rain. Three and two-thirds, three hits, one earned, zero walks, four strikeouts. He is rostered in, wow, 79% of leagues, so I'm imagining most people picked him up for the two-start week. And he's he's actually been pretty good outside of one bad start against... The Phillies got four innings, five earned in uh, in that start against the Phillies. But outside of that, he's been three runs or less in his other three starts. So Montgomery, is he's someone that should stick around after the two-star week. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he's must-have. He's must-roster. I don't think he's quite that high, but he's of these pitchers that we've listed in this section, Freeland, Bielik, Canning, Cobb, Montgomery's the best. He's, he's the one I'd most likely keep around. But is he the best, Scott? Is he better than Matthew Boyd? He probably is. I'm just trying to make it more dramatic than it is. Uh, we were not touting him as a two-star pitcher. Actually, in fact, I'm pretty sure you told people not to start him, Scott. Four innings, four hits, three earned, two walks. He actually started this game allowing back-to-back home runs to Tim Anderson and Yoan Moncada. And I believe that's two straight starts that he has done that. Don't quote me, but I saw other people talking about, and I've never heard of another pitcher starting two games in a row allowing back-to-back home runs. But that is where we are at with Matthew Boyd. 16 swinging strikes on 90 pitches, 11 on the slider. The one thing that catches my eye, Scott, is that he had three whiffs on the changeup, and he only threw eight of them. So you can drop Boyd. He doesn't have to be owned, but is something that I would pay attention to moving forward to see if this changeup actually turns into something that Matthew Boyd starts to use more. He's still very interesting. And this was actually his most interesting start because if he gave up home runs on the first two batters he faced, then he had four. He had from that point on, he pitched four one run innings with nine strikeouts. And that's, that's very much like the Boyd we saw last year. And he threw his slider 41% of the time in this one, which was also more like the Boyd we saw last year. The 16 swinging strikes were a season high. 
it was uh it was all the ways Boyd was good last year and all the ways Boyd was bad, namely giving up a ton of home runs. And I'm still intrigued by that profile, but there is no amount of trust there right now. We'll see where it goes from here, but the swinging strikes are, are very intriguing. It's, I, I don't think he's someone that has to be owned, but we'll no. see what happens. No, um, he doesn't. Some bullpen notes from Monday in game one of their doubleheader. Andrew Miller pitched a clean seventh and picked up his second save. Giovanni Gallegos pitched the sixth inning in that game while it was tied. It sure seems like Andrew Miller is the guy, Scott. It does appear that way. Uh, Giov- Giovanni Gallegos has been lights out in setup duty, so things could unravel quickly for Miller based on the way his last two seasons have gone, but it, it, it seems like they're intending to make him the closer. The reason the Cardinals took the lead in that game was because Rowan Wick entered with the bases loaded in the top of the seventh and allowed a two-run double. And then in game two, there was a save situation for the Cubs, and Jeremy Jeffress picked up the save in a one-run lead. Clean inning for Jeremy Jeffress. And I will just add that Craig Kimbrell didn't pitch in either of these games, but he pitched twice over the weekend in lower leverage situations, and he looks very good. Four strikeouts, one walk, no hits allowed in those two appearances for Kimbrell. Scott, do you think Jeffers is the guy? Is Wick still the guy? I think if Kimbrell puts together a few more solid appearances, I think that they're going to try and slowly get him back into the closer role. I think so too. Of course, we've thought that about Edwin Diaz and it still hasn't happened yet, even though he's pitched well for the Mets. Uh I would suspect Wick gets the Knaves next save chance, but, you know, not with a lot of confidence. Scott, I have yet to use the word, I don't think I have, bruh, on bruh. the podcast here, bruh. bruh. Daniel Hudson, bruh, what happened? <laughs> oh, my gosh. He entered Monday's game up 6-4. to four. He allowed a solo homer to Adam Duvall and then a two-run walk-off bomb to your brave, Scott, Dansby Swanson. What is the I don't know what happened, but I liked it. <laughs> what is the leash like for Daniel Hudson, Scott? I think it's long. I think it's from here to the equator. It's long because <laughs> who else? Who else is it going to be? I know. Uh, I don't even know how Will Harris is doing this year. I know that's a guy Adam kept bringing up as a closer possibility. And look, it's uh, apart from two outings, Hudson's been locked down. <laughs> he has an ERA. Uh, Approaching eight now because those two outings have been abysmal. But uh, yeah, Will Harris has a 540 ERA himself. So that doesn't look like a change that would happen. Tanner Rainey? He has pitched very well for them. I actually just picked him up in a whole league. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Two hits allowed in 10 and a third inning, 17 strikeouts. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, I don't know anything about him. I'm just hearing his name for the first time. But that's, that's interesting. Uh, I I don't think I don't think Daniel Hudson's losing his job with this, but I could be wrong. Will Harris, I know, recently returned from injury, so it might literally be one bad appearance where the ERA is at five point four zero. But he did pitch the eighth in this game, so I think if Hudson continues to struggle, Will Harris probably would be the guy. I don't think that we're there or really even close to that point, but it's just a name to remember. Anthony Bass. Scott, something you wanted to mention was that he pitched in the eighth inning up by four runs on Monday night. What does that mean in the grand scheme of things? 
I don't know that it means anything in the grand scheme of things. He did blow a save in his last appearance, which was a few days ago. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think the Blue Jays, you know, the, the reports on Ken Giles have been pretty optimistic. So I think they feel like they're just trying to, to weather the storm and uh, they could throw anybody out there at this point, probably. But I would still consider Bass the front runner. Scott, Tuesday probables to stream or not to stream. I have the must starts as Zach Greinke against the Rockies, Dylan Bundy against the Giants, Frankie Montas against the D-backs, Carrasco against the Pirates, Blake Snell at the Yankees, Luis Castillo at the Royals, Kenta Maeda versus Brewers, and Yu Darvish versus the Cardinals. So yes. Antonio Sensatella at the Houston Astros, Scott. No. Mike Miner against the Padres. I don't think so. Trevor Cahill at the Angels. Nah. Luke Weaver against the A's at home. Nah. Masahiro nah. Tanaka against the Tampa Bay Rays. I don't hate it. I don't love it. I'll lean no. I think he was pretty... I think he was really good last time out against the Rays. I'll start him. Definitely has nothing to do with all this Yankee paraphernalia behind me. Uh, Austin Voth at the Atlanta Braves. No. Josh Tomlin versus the Washington Nationals. Uh, I, I suspect that'll be a really short outing, though I hope they do stretch him out because he was always a, he was always a really good source of whip when he was with the Indians and in a starting pitcher. And uh, yeah, he's looked he's look good at the bull, out of the bullpen the past two years. So that's a no. That's no. David Peterson at the Miami Marlins. It might be my favorite so far, but it still seems like a desperation play. Marco Gonzalez at the Dodgers. I don't think so, Tim. Tony Gonsolin against the Mariners. Ooh, that's a sneaky play right there. That's uh, that's what we're calling a sleeper. Yeah, if you got him on your roster, I think you play him. How about Zach Eflin at the Boston Red Sox? Nah. Nate Pearson at the Baltimore Orioles. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you scared uh, of that Orioles lineup, huh? I'm, I'm scared of Nate Pearson, man. <laughs> the kid just uh, looks lost so far. Lost? Yeah, he Come looks on. lost. He's walking His everybody. His first two starts were fine. All right. Uh, Scott says yes. I say, listen to Scott. Brad Keller versus the Reds. <laughs> uh, you don't want to stick your neck out there, huh? Uh, I will say no to this. Brad Keller versus the Reds. Corbin Burns at the Twins. I mean, I like Corbin Burns as a two-start guy, but if you know, if we're going start by start here, I'll skip the Twins start. I am perfectly fine with that. Tariq Skubal against at the Chicago White Sox. I think we, I'm trying to remember what the, I think he's going to only going to be limited to like 50 pitches in this first turn scooball. So that's pretty easy to pass him over on his major league debut. Womp womp. That stinks. Dylan Cease versus the Tigers. Did you see what Gio Gonzalez did to the Tigers? That's a yes. Daniel Ponce de Leon at the Cubs. I imagine that'll be a short outing. So no. And I have one final bullpen update. I was waiting to see what would happen in this game with the Giants up 6-5, to five, entering the bottom of the ninth. The closer on the mound is... 
Trevor got. So let's see if they get got. <laughs> yeah, like my ERA. I just picked up Tony Watson in a league too, just speculating. That stinks. Tony Watson was very good in the eighth, so we shall see. Some team name Tuesdays that we received, Scott, and quickly hit on some of these. From David. If look, some of these are like over my head, so if you understand the reference, please just fill me in here, Scott. Uh, from David Chicken Benintendis. Does that mean anything to you? I just think it's like chicken tenders, chicken benintendis. Chicken, all right. Now I'm hungry. Benintendi, Benintendi, I don't think I have that effect on this soundboard. I know people have been requesting that one. That's from the greatest hits. What is that? Like an echo? Yeah, well, it needs to have a certain repeating echo effect so that it's so that the Benintendi is still continuing by the time I get into the next one, you know? Yes. And then I break in and then I come in with a Trevor Shaw. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was a whole thing. You had to be there. I had to be. I'm sure I listened to it like on a train somewhere when I was traveling to college. Uh, this one's from Justin. Uh, I don't think this is nice. Freddie Freeman fever. That's like full moon fever, right? Or no? Full oh maybe I I just assumed it was like the, a COVID related the Tom Petty album oh maybe that's what it that's, is then I don't know. that's kind of a stretch isn't it that's that's where my mind went anyway <laughs> we need Chris here yeah that's what this, <laughs> Chris is perfect for these uh, from David Caratini Top all right that one's pretty straightforward yeah that's pretty good uh, from Jessica Colome by your name do you know what the reference is Scott um no. Just call me by your name. Is that apparently it is a film and that was made after a novel? I haven't call watched it or read it, but that was the research that I found today. Call, and what does that even mean? Call me by your name? Yeah, 2017 film, 7.9 on IMDb, oh. 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Check it out. Yeah, audience score 86. Pretty good, pretty good. Check that one out. Might have to put it on the old queue. The second one from Jessica was Yaz Queen. If you don't get it, please (laughs) just hit Urban Dictionary. From Brendan, Renato Girl, Not Yet a Woman. Uh, Renato Girl, Not Yet a Woman. Not a girl, not yet a woman. It's a uh, Britney Spears song. Oh, yeah, of huh? course. It's a Britney I'm Spears sure song. I'm sure Chris would be all over that. All right, Scott, we will end with this. Your favorite Britney Spears song is blank. Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, crazy, maybe? Is that a bad answer? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> do, you know what, do you know what that song is? I don't know. I'm looking it up now. You know, kind of Britney. Oh, expert. you drive me crazy. That's, That's the one. Burner, burner, burner. That is a crazy. Good one. That is pretty good. I'm going to go yeah. with Toxic. A couple of months ago, quarantine, uh, Adam said that Toxic was a terrible song and that Britney Spears is a terrible artist. And among his many terrible takes over the years, I thought that was uh, quite egregious. I believe Heath Cummings added it to the list of terrible takes. But Toxic, I'll go with Toxic. That's my favorite Britney Spears song. And we will end there. If you are still listening at the 105 mark, 
please send us some players you want us to talk about on Worryometer Wednesday tomorrow. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today on our YouTube channel. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. We'll be right back.